get into this subject on the second part called forgiveness. Now, if you weren't here last Sunday, we continued in a series called You Asked For It. And one of the subjects that you got to participate as a congregation to say, I, Pastor, I want to know what the Bible, this book, this document, I want to know what it says about different subjects. And, you know, when you open yourself up like that, it could, you know, people could really say, hey, I've got, I really want to know more about this subject. And it can be a difficult subject like forgiveness. But you know what? This should be an environment where we investigate what does God say about subjects like that. And so what happened was, is last Sunday I preached a message and it strictly focused on what forgiveness was. And what it was was unexpected because most of us think that we know the definition of forgiveness and what it should be and what it should look like. But sometimes, have you ever noticed that when God tells us something challenging and difficult to do, we in the Western culture, we think that that's optional. Like we could take it or leave it. I've heard so many Christians tell me, well, I'm just going to throw, you know, like the old weed. I'm going to throw the weed up in the air and the chaff will float away and, you know, the weed will come down. And those of us that have not been around church all of our lives, we don't use weed examples. You know, we just say, you know, we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater and stuff like that. And, you know, so we look for the good. But the problem with forgiveness is sometimes we think it's optional based upon the horrific nature of what has been either done to us are in our lives. And so we believe that if it's bad enough, we really don't have to, because we don't understand Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is where Jesus teaches us and teaches his disciples how to pray. It's the Lord's Prayer, and we recited it last Sunday. And I thought it was so beautiful that us, uh, 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 of the diversity of our cultures, of our language, we have people here that have multiple languages, and that we could celebrate by being unified enough to say the same prayer at the same time. So I'd like to do that again because i got a point to make about the Lord's Prayer. So I'm going to start it since I have the microphone, but I don't want to be the only one praying, so I'm going to be silent after the first couple of words, and I want the voice of this congregation to repeat the Lord's Prayer. So let's do it together. Our Father... Forever. Amen. What a wonderful prayer. And if you read it in Matthew, you'll find out that Jesus only deals with one aspect of that prayer after Amen. He could have continued teaching on, you know, trusting the Heavenly Father to give us our daily bread. But the only thing that he thought enough uh, importance to surround another conversation was after we traditionally say amen, he decided to go back to the stanza about forgiving. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that have trespassed against us. And in verse 13 and 14 of that chapter, he says, he, he gets so really uh, committed to this principle of forgiveness. He says, hey, if you don't forgive, your heavenly Father can't forgive you. So what we learned last week was that forgiveness is not optional, but it's actually a command. 
and that we all needed forgiveness. That all of us, no matter where we come from, needed Jesus to save our, our souls. And that means that the Bible in one portion of Scripture says that we were enemies of God. And He reconciled us as being enemies of God and reconciled us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And now we have the privilege and the honor of being called the sons and daughters of God. So that means every one of us offended God at one point in time or another. Amen? Well, let's just take one more step. Let's say you've prayed the prayer. You know, dear Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Okay? Powerful, life-changing, transformational. Not going to minimize that. But how many of you have slipped up since then? Say amen. amen. So we've all still needed to be forgiven after we asked the original time to be forgiven. None of us are perfect because the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So now we've centered around what forgiveness is. Today I want to talk about what it's not. Because for you to really be able to live it out, you've got to really understand what it is and what it is not. Because you've been given definitions of forgiveness that weren't necessarily accurate or biblically true. And so why don't we dive right into the first stanza of what forgiveness is not. It is not justifying the bad behavior of others. It is not trying to make something. We're not trying to put on rose-colored glasses and look at something that challenged your life or challenged you personally and all of a sudden trying to take bad behavior, try to put some kind of effective spin on it to make it not so bad or even good. Nope, that's not what forgiveness is at all. Matter of fact, it's going to be hard to justify bad behavior because bad behavior is always bad behavior. See, sometimes we, we think the horrific nature of some of the things that people could stand up and testify about, if we tried to minimize that, it would rob God of His glory and really, really make them struggle with apprehension of it wouldn't be so bad if it happened to you. See how easy it is for us just to say, let's just forgive. And then, of course, the one thing that is associated with forgiveness and all stretches of the imagination and all walks of life, Christian and unchristian, most people say, if you forgive, you have to forget. How do, how, how do you forget? You know, and so what that does, first of all, it's not in the Bible, it's not scripture, because you're, the way God built your brain, you can't forget. You can't forget that moment that hurt you. You can't forget the person that hurt you. But you can have something supernatural happen with you and through you and in you. Because I had an accident one year. Uh, there's, a, there's a truth of the matter that um, I have a statement. I got to spend some time in the woods this past week. And I'm a country boy by nature. And even though now I live in what I consider to be the big city, you can take the country boy out of the country and put him in the city, but you can't take the country out of the boy. So man, I'm driving big trucks around woods this week. I'm having a good time. I'm remembering what used to be and how I used to kind of live my life back in the day and, and enjoying all of those memories because you can't forget those things and I'm enjoying life. And God knew that I was going to be preaching this message and I wrote it a couple of weeks ago and I wanted to tell you that I have a country boy saying that I've preached from the pulpit for 17 years. God does not heal stupid. He don't. 
you wear stupid. He loves you even though, I mean, some things that I've done in my life have really bordered on stupid. And God has just said, Dave, I love you, brother. Son, you, you know, I love you. But that was dumb. How I got my scar is one of those moments. I have a scar right here, and I, I found the irony of it today. For the first time in 51 years of life, I finally put a new element to this story. Uh, there was, I was on staff with my dad. We had built a new church, and we were about 90% done, and there was a, a storage area that needed a ladder to be mounted to the wall. We had not gotten to the ladder yet, but yet they was, there was a bin up there that the senior adults needed to clean fish. My job on staff was to be an associate pastor, and that meant, literally, my job description is you do whatever's needed to be done today, and that day was cleaning mullet. And so I grabbed one, of, that's back when we called everybody brother and sister. You know, everybody was brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. And I grabbed a guy, he was just a, a, a saint of a man. His name was Brother Jump. Story gets better. <laughs> Instead of me having good sense and going and getting a ladder to get up in the storage room that had no ladder mounted to the wall, I had learned in my youth that I was quite the athlete. I know it's hard to imagine now, but I was. And so I told Brother Jump, I'm going to back up over the baptistry, because we had a platform over the baptistry, and I was going to run across that baptistry, jump out into the air like Carl Lewis, and I was going to land in that storage area loft, and I was going to get that bucket and jump back. I had done it a hundred times. So I back up. Now the irony is I'm with Brother Jump about to make my evil Knievel jump. And I run. And as I'm running, stupid's coming to the surface. God loves me anyway. And I get to the edge and I jump. And I make it. But somebody that I'm struggling to forgive right now put the plexiglass to the drums up there and that's what I landed on. And when I landed on it, it was like a surfboard and it spun me right back around in that hole. And so I panicked because in that hole I discovered that God has a unique thing called gravity. And gravity grabbed hold of me and decided to jerk me down about 10 feet. And I decided I was going to put my hands out and catch myself. And my chin hit the, the ledge and my teeth went through the backside of my, my chin. And there's a scar about probably 3 inches on my chin. Now I can shave. It used to be real pink. Now I can shave it and it looks like... When you're 51, it's character. <laughs> so to keep kind of hidden that real pink three and a half inch scar I grew a beard a goatee at the time wanted to still be cool I was young and I went in to shave one day and I was, I was shaving I felt like the Holy Spirit started asking me questions and he said do you remember what happened to you I said oh yes I do and I still remember it to this day and he said, touch your scar. And I touched my scar. And when I touched my scar, I discovered something. It doesn't hurt anymore. 
See, sometimes people think that they haven't forgiven people because they still remember, because they've been misinformed that forgiveness is forgetting. But forgiveness isn't forgetting at all. It's being delivered from the pain of what happened. And it didn't hurt anymore. I still have a scar, but I could touch it. I could shave it. I could do whatever I want to. See, the power of God's grace and the sovereignty of His power is to take us to a place where you are freed. That, that forgiveness by all means is not pretending that something didn't happen and it just doesn't matter because it happens and you suppress it and lock it up behind that door we talked about last week. No, that is just as dangerous as the thing that happened because that is a, a, an equation. That is a recipe for a time bomb. And you know who gets caught in the explosions? The people that didn't do the thing that you're mad about. Like your husband or wife. Your children. Because all that stuff is, is just bound up in there and you're trying to rationalize and trying not only to forget it, but you're trying to tell yourself, oh, it wasn't that big of a deal anyway. Yes, it was. And God has a supernatural power that can, you can still remember it, recall it, and He can deliver you of the pain of it. And that way you can get it out of that room that you, that you just decide to keep closed all the time. See, unforgiveness, what God, have you ever noticed that the Holy Spirit will always get you to that door you lock it behind and that thing that you have suppressed? Because He don't want you to be a time, a tick bomb, a time bomb ticking ready to explode. He doesn't want you to pretend that something really bad didn't happen to you. He doesn't want you to minimize it. He doesn't want you to say, oh, well, you know, not that big of a deal. Yeah, it was. It left a scar. It hurt. See, because God knows that unforgiveness metastasizes into bitterness and bitterness will kill you see bitterness even scientifically they tell you people that are bitter and have unforgiveness they don't live healthy lives and God knows that bitterness certainly will rob and choke out your peace choke out your joy and all of a sudden now the thing that happened to you in your yesterday is preventing you from living the maximum life in your tomorrows and so God knows that and he's trying to tell you I'm bigger than that I'm bigger than that thing, and so just let me in the door. We're going to get to that in a minute. But what really people struggle with, especially in the realm of forgiveness, is when they know that the person that did it or the thing that they did, they're not sorry for it. They have no remorse. And so now we're waiting our whole life, some of us, for that one person to get the idea that they're going to love you enough that they're going to come and tell you they're sorry. They're probably never coming. If they don't get saved, they're probably never coming. If they get saved, they might come. But we're waiting. Our lives are hanging in the balance of whether somebody tells us that they're sorry. And you've got to understand, forgiveness is possible even when they don't deserve it. Look at your neighbor and tell them, forgiveness is possible even though they don't deserve it. Listen to this story. It's found in Acts chapter 7 verses 54 through 60. Now when they heard these things they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. And he, But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold I see heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and rushed together at him and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, 
Do not hold this against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. See, you've got a man that is doing nothing but preaching the gospel. He's preaching the power of the resurrection. That powerful message is so convicting that it convicts the religious leaders of the day. They get so enraged over their conviction that they decide to kill the one speaking it. And so they now, they, this is not some, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're assaulting this man. Sometimes in the Bible we pretend that these things just was like, hey, Brother Stephen, come on, man. We're going to come out and stone you. Come with me. And they're just walking, come on, walk with me. And they're just walking him out like this, like, you know, we're going to fix him to beat the life out of you in just a few minutes, man. Thank you for being willing to come with us and, and share. No, man, they were, the Bible said they were so mad that he kept speaking that they covered their ears. They were so mad and irritated. They were gritting their teeth and they laid hold of him, beating on him, dragging him out of the city. Thank you, Pastor Gray. And getting him out of the city. Now, in the midst of them doing the very thing that was going to take his life, he looks up and goes, oh, wait a minute, man. The one I was just preaching about, heaven just opened and I see him. And he's at the right hand of the Father. Then the Bible, it, what, what little part you don't read in the Bible, it should say this. And then a big rock hit Stephen in the head. And then he fell to his knees. And when he fell to his knees, knowing that, the, that the, his life would be required of him on that day as a martyr, he fell to his knees and then decided, let me forgive them. All while a little uh, a young man, five foot tall, is standing there holding coats, never throwing a stone that would later become the Apostle Paul. See, I don't think the Apostle Paul could ever get away from the way he died. Because Stephen inherently knew with his vision of Jesus, and he knew that he, if he could ever forgive like Jesus, it would bring a peace. Did you see the connection between peace and forgiveness? He falls to his knees being hit with a stone. The Bible says this, and he said aloud, he didn't whisper it, he said, Father, don't hold this against them, I forgive them. And then the Bible says he went to sleep. You talking about peace? When you can go to sleep when people are beating you with stones, it didn't say it knocked him out. He just said, oh, man, my work's done. The dude over there with the, with, with the, the coats, it's going to haunt him. Because I acted different than I should have. See, I should have waited on them to tell me they're sorry. I should have waited for them to realize that what they were doing was wrong and I'm an innocent man and they would stop taking and requiring my life. But no, I don't need all of that because what he did was not the first time it was done. See, the Bible in Luke 23, 32 through 34 said two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place which that is called the skull, they were crucified, they crucified him. And the criminals on one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. See, that's the forgiveness of Jesus. Here's good news. Touch your neighbor and tell them, I'm not Jesus. See, the reason that Stephen could forgive like Jesus is not because Stephen was just a great man. The Bible says he was a great man filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit enabled and empowered him to do something he could not do in his own flesh. 
he was able to go that extra step and forgive like Jesus. I mean, they're killing him. Here's one of the things that I get to speak as truth to you. God didn't ever ask you to go and trust the person that offended you. See, trust is never given, it's earned. So he didn't say to pretend like it didn't happen and, and put somebody in a trustworthy position to give them a chance to assault you again. He didn't say that. He said, trust me, not them. How much do you trust the Holy Spirit? Because the, whole, the person that did the thing to you isn't the one that leads you back to the door to try to remember and get delivered from the pain from the thing that you've got locked away. It's the Holy Spirit that brings you back there all the time. Because He knows that the moment that you trust Him enough to open that door, He'll walk in there with supernatural power and deliver you from the pain of what happened yesterday. So I'm asking you not to trust the person but to trust the Holy Spirit. Do you really believe that if you allowed Him to walk you to that door for the last time today and you were to open that door, that He really has the power to deliver you from the pain that's, what behind, that's behind there? Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. Remember, he's the guy holding the, the coats. It says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Hmm. You mean, Pastor, I don't have to forget it? I don't have to pretend it didn't happen. I don't even have to justify bad behavior and make it somehow or another okay. You mean to tell me, Pastor, that I could remember and still get delivered from the pain of it? Yes. Here's a story to back it up. Amy, if you'll get ready to play me something. It's found in the 45th chapter of the book of Genesis. His name is Joseph. Anybody ever recall the story of Joseph, you know, the kid with the coat of many colors? He gets sold into slavery. Inside of that pit, they decide that, they, that first of all, they were going to kill him. So your own brothers are plotting a, a plan to kill you. Then they said, no, nah, let's don't kill him. Let's let somebody else kill him so we don't have the guilt of it. Uh, you, you go figure that out. And so they sell him as a slave. The slave traders now trade him to a merchant or a man of authority named Potiphar. In Potiphar's house, he is shown favor of the Lord and he is very intelligent. He's very good in leadership and he ascends to the upper ranks of, of servanthood. And Potiphar puts him in charge of his entire house. The problem with Potiphar's house is Potiphar's wife wanted a little piece of Joseph in the wrong way. And so she decides to make advancements towards Joseph. Joseph remains a man of character. He doesn't fall prey to the temptation. And he is running, resisting. Again, comes the coat. Remember Stephen, Saul was the guy holding the coat. Now you got Joseph, he's wearing the coat. And she grabs the coat. He unwinds himself from the coat. She keeps the coat and turns the story that Joseph come in to assault her. And she's got the proof. Here's the coat. 
They go through a trial. He gets sentenced to 12, or he gets sentenced to prison and is now there 12 years. In the span of 12 years, there's three dreams. There's two people that used to work for Pharaoh that has a dream. He interprets them correctly. And then Pharaoh himself has a dream in which Joseph um, interprets. And he is released from prison. Not just released from prison as a free man. He's released from prison as the prince of Egypt. Now he is second in command of all of the known world, only behind Pharaoh. He no longer has chains, but now he has a crown. And his job is to fulfill the dream. There's going to be seven years of plenty, and they're going to save and store away uh, resources in the seven years of plenty to deal with seven years of famine. Don't think for one minute that you will find peace because you find success. See, some people think that if they can just get rid of the chains and put on a crown, if they can be successful enough, aspire to the mountaintop of career, and they get the right title or the right salary, they'll think it'll heal something on the inside of them. It never will. All of a sudden... Two years, seven years after the 12 years of prison. So 19 years. Between 19 and 21 years from the day he was sold, his brothers show up in need. They don't even recognize him. They think he's dead. He recognizes them. How many of you will never forget who hurt you the worst? All of a sudden... It's time. We're going to have some tears in this altar today. And that's a good thing. Because just because you're going to get healed doesn't mean that you're not going to have to deal with the things that are on the inside. Because when that door swings open to the room you always keep locked, everything's coming out. But that's a good thing. This is what the Bible says about this encounter. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone get out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years, which will be another, there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth, and keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all of his house and ruler over all of the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. See, just because he has a crown on his head don't mean he's going to cry. He's not going to cry. Doesn't mean that it's not going to hurt when he remembers what they did to him. 
even though he knows God uses it for his good and for his glory, all of a sudden, just because you got the crown, people around here that work with me and, that, and my family says, Pastor, you can't hide nothing. Whatever's on the inside of you shows on your face. Anybody else got that problem? And so Joseph tries to be private. Anybody ever thought that you should be able to handle something private, but it leaks out? He goes into the room with his brothers and shuts the door and puts everybody out. But yet, when he starts to remember, he never dismisses what they did. He never tells them that what they did was a good thing. He just says, what you did for my, my, my detriment and my demise, God is so supernatural that he made me stronger because of it. And to him be the glory because he has been with me when you were not. He is crying to such passion. He is crying to where the palace of Egypt is hearing him cry behind closed doors as he's unloading on his brothers. You are the one that sold me into Egypt. You are the one that expected me to die. But every step of the way from the betrayal of 20 something years ago God has been with me. I thought my life would get better when I went to work for Potiphar. But my life seemingly spun out of control and I have spent my life 12 years in prison. This crown didn't come easy and it certainly didn't come from your bad behavior but it come through a God that could deliver me from the pain of my family abandoning me. My, my brother selling me and, the, and a, a woman falsely accusing me. But out of the ashes of the turmoil here I am standing not on my own strength but because God is capable. I don't trust you but I do trust him. He even tells him you robbed me of my life with my father. I don't even know if he's dead or alive. Is he alive? They, they, they couldn't even speak. They probably just nodded their head. And he says, hey, come near to me and you go tell my dad that his boy became something. That he didn't stop when he was abandoned by his brothers and he didn't hold that as a crutch to say that I'll never be anything or do anything. And then when I started getting healed from that tragedy, I ran into this woman at Potiphar's house and she falsely accused me, ruined my character and my reputation. But yet God was enough. And I want you to know when you go tell daddy that I'm still alive, that you you're, you're selling me didn't kill me and her false accusations didn't kill me. But I'm here to tell you, you tell him God sent me before you and that God has been here and prepared a way for me and God has an assignment for me he didn't cause what you did but now I have a testimony for others I am one that is going to share what has happened to me where he could receive all glory honor and praise go tell daddy I'm Lord of it all go get him so I can bless him and while I'm blessing him I'm going to bless you This all happened with tears running down his face. It wasn't like, hey man, give me a high five. I got a crown now. I wouldn't have never got to the palace without you. No, he was telling you, in spite of you, God was enough. Who hurts you the deepest? Whose behavior will you never have to reconcile and judge as being good? 
but knowing that God is so sovereign, He can walk in the midst of your crisis, your turmoil, and your mess and free you. Have you ever noticed that unforgiveness and uh, forgiveness and unforgiveness is always chained to something that happened yesterday? But trust is always pointing you towards your tomorrows. And he's saying you can be bound by the chain of the injury, the crisis, or the trauma. Or you can release it, trust me, let's get rid of it, get delivered from the, from the pain of it and move forward. Because i got an assignment for you. God didn't cause what happened to you. But he loved you enough not to abandon you when you were ready to abandon yourself. So I want you to close your eyes for a moment. I want you to see whether it's the face of the person or the moment on the calendar or the day that you were disappointed or the moment that hurts you the deepest.